0: People went to the polls and voted during World War I. They went to the polls and voted during World War II. We can safely go to the polls and vote during COVID-19.
1: World Wars I and II weren't contagious, yet, jackass. I got the feeling there's something right no, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me,
0: jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with
2: you Yep Yes, I'm stuck in the from middle From Pacifica with Radio
1: with in Los Angeles, this is The broadcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 and FM right, in L.A. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountain's KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, Desi Doyen, uh, we will be uh, taking a few days off Yes in the, uh, de- well, You sound so excited about that I am, yes, yeah, I well, am very tired I, know, I am too, I'm right there with you <laughs> I know, I know I The know. Uh, delightful Nicole Sandler will be filling in for us uh, Until after the holiday, uh, July 4th holiday weekend Now I gotta tell you, July 4th has always, growing up as a kid July 4th had always been hands down my favorite holiday Right Bar none, loved it Fireworks, dad would make barbecue ribs, it's summertime, no school, long nights. I just, you know, everything about July 4th. Well, and that continued to be the case as I grew older, as I now have. And it was always, nonetheless, July 4th, always my favorite holiday until some point around the George W. Bush presidency. And for some reason, you know, going to the fireworks, being proud of America and celebrating with everybody together, it just did not have the the same ring to it anymore, for, for me at least. And that continued, even through the Barack Obama years. Uh, it certainly continues now through the Donald Trump years, where I still love the fireworks, I still love the idea of July 4th, but it's just not as... Uh, celebratory, at least for me anymore. Yeah, you know I what can, I'm saying.
2: Yes, I can totally understand that. I think uh, Colin Kaepernick will also understand that sort yeah. of feeling.
1: Well, there you go. Yeah. So I mean, and, and it's kind of sad. That said, since this is uh, our last uh, chance to uh, be on the airwaves here before July 4th. There is something to celebrate this July Fourth, specifically as dark and as grim and as horrible as everything is right now with the COVID virus and a crazy man in the White House, uh, you know, and all of the news that continues to pile in—the the the, the Russia Taliban bounty story, which I cannot even wrap my brain around yet, to be frank. Mm-hmm. But with all of that, there is something to celebrate this. Saturday, July 4th. What's that? July 4th, this Saturday, it will be exactly, I looked it up, it will be exactly 200 days before Donald Trump If all goes well in November before Donald Trump is no longer the president of the United States,
2: 200 days from Saturday,
1: 200 days from the 4th of July. So if you're looking for something to celebrate, if you feel like me, a little, you know, not crazy about 4th of July, not much to celebrate this year. There is something to celebrate. We can make it. We can survive 200 more days of this presidency if it comes to an end. In fact, on January 20, 2021.
2: All right. Got it.
1: So there you go. Enjoy your 4th of July. And Uh, buckle up, 200 days to go Because it's going to be a hellish 200 days But it's only 200 days, right? Okay, Uh, anyway, I got way too much stuff to get to today So I may end up throwing some of it over the side We will see Uh, Maybe some of the COVID stuff Or the Trump-Russia-Taliban stuff Which I said I can't even wrap my brain around right now I'm either so tired Or that story is so mind-blowing to me I don't know So let's just start here (laughs) And we'll find out where we end up Things seem to be going very well for Republicans of late, Uh, at least according to the news out of Wyoming over the weekend, where the state Republican Party held their state convention. And a hat tip to Bradcast listener Erwin Corey for tipping me off to this uh, via Twitter, where you can reach me as well. I am the Bradblog there if you have any tips or things you think I should know about. Gillette, Montana, police, according to the Billings Gazette, have now cited Michael Pierce with assault and battery after the Alabama County Republican Party chair allegedly instigated a fight with Carbon County Republican Party chair Joey Correnti that resulted in Pierce being hospitalized. Wow. Pierce told the Star Tribune this weekend that he and Correnti had been involved in a fight during the Wyoming Republican Convention <laughs> okay. in Gillette that left Pierce with a broken ankle, dislocated shoulder, and injured neck. A Gillette Police Department news release corroborates Pierce's claim that he and Correnti were involved in an argument that escalated to a point of violence. However, the release from Lieutenant Brent Wasson says Pierce began the fight by punching Corenti in the head.
2: Wow. (laughs) Okay.
1: Pierce had previously told the Star Tribune that he was unsure who began the physical altercation. He said he did not remember all the details of the fight because he was left unconscious. Wasson's statement cites witnesses who said that, uh, quote, Pierce was responsible for the escalation and Corenti was defending himself by taking Pierce to the ground. The lieutenant said he was not aware of there being any video of the incident. Sad. Isn't that the saddest part right there? (laughs) Okay. Pierce, uh, an attorney, told the Star Tribune on Saturday that he had hoped to pursue. Criminal charges following the incident, and he believed it also uh, that it was also uh, Correnti's intention to pursue charges against Pierce. But now police have said it was Pierce who was the instigator here. According to the police news uh, release, Correnti held Pierce down until someone else stepped in. Correnti said Pierce was intoxicated. Pierce admitted to drinking. While Pierce uh, had uh, admitted to consuming two, quote, tall gin and tonics throughout the day, he's denied that he was intoxicated during the incident. Gillette police say Pierce damaged and eyeglasses and hearing aid. So I guess these were two old Republicans (laughs) punching each other out. And the incident became physical after the two chair moved outside the venue, police said. Pierce and Correnti had previously been friends, stemming back to Correnti's days as a member of the Albany County Republican Party. Pierce had told the Star Tribune on Saturday, and uh, they worked together in Correnti's bid against the current House minority leader back in 2016. However, their relationship appeared to sour over the weekend. Well, I would say so. When Correnti approached Pierce because he said he fraternized with Correnti's political rivals at the convention, which I guess amongst Republicans you are not supposed to be doing, not fraternizing with opponents with whom you are supposed to be bitter enemies, apparently, because that is politics in the post-Carl Rove age. You can't just disagree with someone politically. You must, you must destroy must them. destroy and despise them, yes. He had accused me in a very aggressive way during the day, Pierce said. He said that I'm siding with the other side, the other side that he holds a grudge against, which was not the case at all, said Pierce. Following the publication on Sunday of the uh, Star Tribune story about the fight for which Correnti did not comment, uh, but Pierce claimed that Correnti had started it. A number of officials in the Wyoming Republican Party, including Sheridan Rep Mark Jennings, who says he witnessed it, uh, the altercation, uh, contradicted Pierce's account of the events on social media. Jennings said in a written statement that Pierce was heavily intoxicated and belligerent before punching Correnti without provocation, saying Pierce was screaming profanities at Correnti before hitting his left jaw. Well, Pierce said he did not remember who threw the first punch, he told the Star Tribune that the fight that followed apparently ended with him unconscious, on the floor, and in need of surgery. He said, uh, if I'm culpable of anything, I accept that. But I don't believe that Joe is an angel here. He has issues that need to be called out, that we cannot accept as a party that prides itself on working things out. <laughs> in Now... There's more. In August, uh, Pierce was suspended from practicing law for one year after misleading a client. But he's right. Corenti is no angel either. Apparently, according to several attendees at the convention interviewed by the Star Tribune, Correnti, who was known for attending GOP meetings with some form of staff-like object and a firearm holstered on his hip. Had consistently exhibited aggressive behavior toward fellow party members throughout the weekend, yelling in people's faces and allegedly brandishing what appeared to be an axe handle at attendees. Party members from several counties said they believe Correnti was trying to physically intimidate some of the attendees. There was already trouble, however, among Wyoming Republicans even before this weekend. Things did not go well before the 2018 elections either, apparently. In 2018, Charles Curley, a former secretary of the Wyoming GOP, agreed to a plea deal after being accused of assaulting then-Executive Director Christy Wallen at a fundraising dinner earlier that winter. Natrona County Republican Party Chair Joe McGinley said conditions were primed for a similar altercation at this year's event. Numerous sources told the Star Tribune that there were a number of heated moments between members of the party's right flank and more moderate attendees at the convention. I wonder why they're all so upset at each other this year for some reason. Why, yeah. why have things turned so ugly within the Republican Party?
2: Why are they so rage-filled?
1: I don't know. Uh, various Republicans, of course, are now calling for the resignation of Wyoming Republican Party Chair Frank Eitherhorn, uh, who failed to intervene in the entire thing, with one calling the, the affair an embarrassment to the party. No, not at all. Not at all. It's just good old party politics. You guys keep up the good work, Wyoming Republican Party. So that's a taste of how things are going on the Republican Party side around the country. How about the centrist and progressive wings of the Democratic Party? Well, the good news is at least they are not punching each other out yet. So there is that. Uh, It has been a full week since Kentucky held its primary elections amid the coronavirus, uh, amid protests against police violence and racial injustice, and a hard-fought campaign for the task of being the Democratic U.S. Senate nominee to take on Republican Senator Mitch McConnell, and, uh, yeah, underminer of democracy Mitch McConnell, this November. While there were 10 candidates in this crowded race, uh, to win the U.S. Senate nominee nomination in Kentucky, the main contenders were former pilot, fighter pilot Amy McGrath. She was selected last year by Chuck Schumer and his Democratic Senate campaign committee as the establishment's choice and the one that brought tons of cash to her campaign war chest in those months. Uh, there was a, so she was in it, and there was also two progressives. Farmer, teacher and retired Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel Mike Breuer, who we interviewed on this program back in May, and Charles Booker, the state's youngest black lawmaker from Louisville, who saw a huge surge of support in the closing weeks of this campaign as he joined in the uh, street protests following the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis and the police killing of Breonna Taylor specifically uh, that received much less attention in mid-March. That killing. Was in, uh, was in Louisville. Well, the results from last Tuesday's primary were very slow in coming in because the state's two largest counties, uh, Jefferson County, which is Louisville, the state's largest and most diverse city, and Fayette County, that's Lexington. Uh, both counties held off on releasing any of the results until they had the chance to tally most of the enormous number of hand-marked paper mail-in ballots that were used in record numbers by Kentucky voters in this election uh, to avoid the dangers of crowded, crowded uh, polling places amid the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. So the race, which months ago appeared to be a cakewalk for uh, Amy McGrath came down to a very tight battle between McGrath and Booker. And today, after the release of numbers out of Louisville and Lexington, AP has now made its call in the race. Though I should emphasize that the public has not been able to scrutinize the tallies of these ballots that were counted in the week following the election as uh, absentee ballots continue to come in uh, even after Election Day. And they had to be verified and added to the count, etc. That's one of the reasons I'm not a fan of mail-in voting, because it is very hard for the public to oversee the tally. Though I fully appreciate that mail-in voting right now is an absolute necessity, given the coronavirus right now. So we're, we're making the best of things as we can here, like everything else these days. Anyway, according to The New York Times, Amy McGrath, a former Marine fighter pilot who built a formidable campaign war chest, emerged Tuesday as the Democratic nominee to take on Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, fending off a challenge from the left that highlighted the party's ideological divisions. One week after the primary was conducted, the AP declared McGrath the winner in a narrow uh, victory over Charles Booker who harnessed anger over a pair of fatal shootings by the authorities in Louisville to roar into contention in the final weeks of the campaign. McGrath, uh, however, had raised over $40 million by the start of June and built up a sizable advantage even before primary day because many voters had cast early absentee ballots to avoid the polls. By the way another reason I'm not crazy about mail-in votes, because things happen in the final weeks of a campaign. Right. She also helped, was helped by the presence of a number of other Democrats on the ballot, 10 of them in fact, including another progressive, that was Mike Breuer, who garnered about 5% of the vote. So as of this hour, AP is calling the race, Amy McGrath over Charles Booker, 45.4%. To forty-two point seven percent, so a little bit under three percent, about two and a half percent, McGrath over Booker. That amounts to about fifteen thousand votes out of it looks like about five, about half a million cast. So the uh, the Times. Uh, describes Booker's late surge in what has been a relatively tranquil campaign up until the uh, couple of weeks before the primary as another illustration of the progressive momentum in the Democratic Party as outrage over racial injustice amplifies the calls for transformative change. An unabashed progressive, Mr. Booker ran on Medicare for All and the Green New Deal. Unabashed. Why should he be abashed? New York Times.
2: Excellent point.
1: I mean, they make it seem like you know, progressivism is something that one needs to apologize for or something. Do you say unabashed conservative when writing about Republicans? Uh, while McGrath was uh, supported by a, a swath of, of conservative Democrats like Schumer and Hillary Clinton, Booker got support from Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. How abashed are they? about their progressivism. McGrath, uh, however, will face an uphill contest as uh, McConnell is uh, the Senate Majority Leader in, in a state that uh, Donald Trump carried by about 30 points four years ago. Booker also would have found uh, a race against McConnell to be difficult, though as down with tyranny's Unabashed progressive Howie Klein noted on uh, on this show the day after last week's primary, Booker was actually polling better in Kentucky against McConnell than McGrath was in the days leading up to the election. As Newsweek noted at the time, a new civics poll showed McConnell easily beating all of his challengers in potential general election races this fall. In a head-to-head matchup with McGrath, McConnell was ahead by 20 points just before the primary, 53 to 33. But against Booker, his lead was cut down to 14 points, 52 to 38. So interestingly, in both head-to-head matchups, McConnell gets about the same amount of support, 52 or 53 percent but with unabashed progressive booker as the candidate rather than centrist mcgrath democrats actually pick up about 5 more uh, 5% more support huh just something to keep in mind uh, a large majority though not all of the polling conducted in the kentucky senate race has shown mcconnell ahead though it's usually been mcgrath who has been neck and neck with the top Republican. There was one poll conducted by RMG Group in early June where McGrath was actually ahead of Mitch McConnell for the first time. The poll showed 41 percent of voters backed McGrath, while just 40 percent supported McConnell. A week later, another survey showed McConnell back then in the lead. So polling sort of seems to be all over the place in Kentucky, which means... Uh, Democrats there should just simply work like hell and assume that a miracle is possible in defeating the otherwise wildly unpopular Mitch McConnell this year, yes, it can be done.
2: Well, we know two things about this. Number one, you can't win if you don't try. So, yeah, try like hell, because that's the only option here, really. And, you know, of course, McConnell is going to have a massive campaign war chest, and McGrath will need all the help that she can get on the ad campaign Mm -hmm. side of things. But the point here, I think, is really important. McConnell is beatable.
1: In theory, we'll see. Uh, The Times notes that in uh, choosing McGrath, uh, Kentucky Democrats are hewing to a careful course, putting forth a well-funded political moderate with military credentials in a red state. Whether that excites Kentucky's large African-American contingent remains to be seen or the unabashed progressives in the state. It was a, a white, uh, you know, it has that strategy has not worked in the past, as uh, Howie Klein noted a week or so ago. Uh, but it was a white moderate Democrat who did successfully unseat the state's wingnut Tea Party governor back in 2018. So we will see. On the other hand, that wingnut Tea Party governor was, uh, well, he was wildly unpopular. But you know what? Mitch McConnell ain't so popular either, even in his home state. Booker had argued that such an approach at defeating McConnell, uh, you know, with a white centrist uh, Democrat, that that had been tried before and that it was doomed. Uh, I will hope that Booker is wrong and that he, as uh, Mike Breuer told me uh, he was, uh, that, that that they will all be more than willing to campaign like crazy for the eventual whoever was the eventual nominee against McConnell, which now appears to be McGrath. She will have ample cash for her race against McConnell, the Times reports. McConnell is seeking a seventh term, but the Times argues that uh, her prospects depend in part on how close a race former Vice President Joe Biden can run in Kentucky against Trump. If Biden can substantially cut into the margin against Trump, the one that he enjoyed there in 2016, what did I say, 30 points or so? Well, then that will offer McGrath a better chance to win. So, by way of reminding all of you that no matter where you live, no matter how red or how blue that you think your state is, how certain you think it it may be to go one way or another in the presidential race this year, the Senate matters also, as does the House. And especially in a census and then a redistricting year now, uh, which is going to affect the entire country for the next decade, state legislative races matter as well. As do local races where decisions like housing and policing and schooling are made at the local level. So you'd have to be especially selfish or lazy or, I don't know, maybe stupid or completely out to lunch to decide that it does not matter if you vote this year because, oh, you live in a state which always goes one way or another. It does matter if you vote this year. It does matter everywhere. Ernie Canning, our our legal analyst at Bradblog.com, who wrote a a must-read article yesterday there about the other uh, Department of Justice whistleblower who testified in the House last week, Uh, that we didn't have time to cover. Uh, He testified uh, about still more corruption in the DOJ by Bill Barr, who after Trump had gotten mad about the four automakers uh, who agreed to work with California on their emission standards, ignoring Trump's attempt to to lower those uh, emission standards, which, by the way, would help kill thousands more people a year, something that Donald Trump uh, really does seem to excel at after Trump had tweeted how outraged he was about the automakers ignoring him, the DOJ, what do you know, they began a baseless antitrust investigation into the matter, which was eventually dropped because it was basically just meant as harassment. It was ridiculous. Des, I know you mentioned it. You covered it on one of our Green News reports yeah. recently. We've got another one coming up today, by the way. Yes, we do. If we get to it.
2: <laughs> anyway, better.
1: the uh, the career DOJ prosecutor in that case gave testimony to the U.S. House last week uh, about an effort for Barr to also run a baseless antitrust investigation into cannabis companies, all while ignoring actual antitrust cases, actual anti competitive monopolies in banking, big tech, telecom, and other sectors where it would actually be nice to revive our still-existing but rarely-used antitrust laws. And I think, by the way, people have said, oh, it turns out Bill Barr must really hate marijuana. I don't know about that. What happened was when he ran those, uh, as as, uh, Canning reports, when he ran those phony investigations, they had to take people from all other areas of the DOJ pull them away from things like investigating big tech and keeping them busy
2: on on uh, wild goose chases that go nowhere
1: anyway that was a sidebar now we're back to the actual bar (laughs) which is not closed in this state uh anyway ernie uh had dropped me an email with a with a quote from an article that he'd caught while reading about the reported kentucky results Now, I noted that uh, he said I noted an interesting uh, sentence in this update on the Kentucky Democratic Senate primary results. The Fayette County clerk, again, that's Lexington, Kentucky, says 92,000 absentee ballots were requested. Eighty three thousand were returned. Now, that's actually a pretty good return rate, it seems to me. But the clerk added that none of those absentee ballots were rejected due to incorrect signatures which is good.
2: Yeah, that's something that a lot of people aren't aware of. But, but that's a way that your ballot can be rejected if the signature doesn't match.
1: If it doesn't match, and, uh, you know, you got non-professionals deciding what matches and what doesn't. Many states do not contact voters uh, to come in and cure the ballot if there's a question about the signature. Uh, so anyway, that's good. None were rejected for incorrect signatures. However, some were rejected due to a lack of signature, according to the county clerk. So Ernie tells me that it might be uh, periodically useful to remind broadcast listeners to sign their vote-by-mail ballots. Consider it done, Ernie, along with our periodic reminder to check your registration online to make sure that you are still registered and registered at the correct address. Since so much voting will be done this November via mail and you can't receive an absentee ballot or an absentee ballot application even if you don't have your correct address listed in your uh, voter registration form. So don't wait until it's too late, since we're just months now away from the election. Did I mention it's only 200 days uh, from July 4 until?
2: Till Inauguration Day, January yeah. 20, yeah. if yeah. there is to be yeah. an Inauguration Day.
1: But, the well, there will be one either way, won't there? Presumably. Okay. Don't scare me. I have enough <laughs> problems. I'm already on edge. So, uh, but the the election is much sooner than two hundred days. That's yes, only I didn't figure that 120 out. One hundred and twenty something. 100. I forget where we are. Not now. that you're counting. No, but yeah. of course not.
2: Why would
1: I count? Um, so uh, and a lot of these uh, states, by the way, have early deadlines for registering, for changing a registration, for requesting absentee ballots. So don't wait. Do it now. Once again, over the weekend, as you're celebrating being only 200 days away from Donald Trump, possibly being gone forever uh, in related news from the party who really, really hopes you do not vote at all this year. Uh, and who who are finding you know new hoops for you to jump through in order to uh, try to vote all over the country during a pandemic, especially in must-win states for Donald Trump like Pennsylvania, where Trump is said to have won uh, for the first time in decades in in uh, Pennsylvania in 2016 by about 40,000 votes only 40,000 votes out of more than Six million or so cast. News out of there, Donald Trump's re-election campaign, the National Republican Party, and four Pennsylvania members of Congress sued on Monday to force changes to how the state collects and counts mail-in ballots under revamped rules. The federal lawsuit filed in Pittsburgh claims that as voters jumped to... uh, Make use of the greatly broadened eligibility for mail-in ballots during the June 2 primary. Practices and procedures by election officials ran afoul of state law and the state and federal constitutions. It claims the defendants, which are the 67 county election boards and the secretary of state, Quote, have inexplicably chosen a path that jeopardizes election security and will lead and has already led to the disenfranchisement of voters, questions about the accuracy of results and ultimate ultimately chaos ahead of the November three general election. And you know how much the Donald Trump campaign and the Republican Party despise chaos the head of the Pennsylvania Democratic Party called the lawsuit an effort to suppress votes as a campaign tactic, noting Democrats far outpaced Republicans in getting their voters to apply for mail-in ballots ahead of the primary. Statewide uh, vote by mail was a bipartisan proposal passed by Republican majorities in Harrisburg, said, said Sinseree Harris, the state Democratic's state Democrats executive director. Yes, Republican majorities at the state level had voted to expand vote by mail. And now the National Republican Party and Donald Trump are suing. They're suing to stop stop the
2: law that they passed.
1: A Pennsylvania law passed last year expanded mail-in ballot options to let anyone who wanted to vote by mail do so, even if they did not have a reason that they could not vote in person. Pennsylvania had been one of the few remaining states where you had to come up with an excuse. Anybody had to come up with an excuse. If you said you were sick, you had to prove it with a doctor's note or whatever. So they did away with that, so now anyone can vote by mail. And in exchange for the expanded mail-in voting, Uh, In that bill last year, Uh, part of that deal was that uh, Democrats agreed to end straight ticket party, uh, uh, straight party ticket voting in exchange. okay, sounds fine to me. I'm not a fan of straight party ticket voting anyway. The lawsuit now argues that the new procedures were accompanied by some changes that were not legal, including in about 20 counties where the plaintiffs say voters could drop off completed ballots at collection sites without sending them through the mail or handing them directly to county election officials. It alleges that by letting the suit alleges that by letting voters submit their mail ballot at locations other than at their county board of elections, Or sending it through the mail that election officers ran afoul of state law and that the use of drop boxes in Pennsylvania's primary amounted to a violation of the U.S. Constitution. Not just state law, but it's actually unconstitutional to have drop uh, drop boxes around the state.
2: Don't anybody tell Washington or Oregon that both use drop boxes
1: the the uh, lawsuit claims quote upending our entire election process and undermining ballot security through unmonitored by mail voting is the single greatest threat to free and fair elections don't single la- don't, greatest laugh. Threat? don't laugh yeah Boy, they're That's, just
2: so maximal in yeah. their outrage on everything
1: of course and if you don't like it they will punch you in the face at the state convention So not every Pennsylvania county set up drop boxes for voters. Many did, particularly as concerns grew that voters weren't receiving their ballots in time for them to be returned by mail. Election officials in several other states also set up uh, mail drop, drop boxes for their spring and summer primaries. This is widely done, particularly now as absentee voting has skyrocketed due to the pandemic. The use of drop boxes is quite common, particularly in states where, you know, they use widely used absentee ballots. You mentioned Washington and Oregon. So uh, this is not unusual. And yet the Republican Party is pretending they are outraged by it. Even the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission offers guidance on how to use Dropboxes securely for absentee voting. The EAC advises election officials to set one up for every 15 to 20,000 registered voters. Pennsylvania has been following the national best practices for this and how it employed these drop boxes, according to Amber McReynolds. She's the CEO for the National Vote at Home Institute and Coalition. So, of course, Republicans are now suing to stop them from doing so. The GOP lawsuit in Pennsylvania appears to be the first time that the RNC or the Trump campaign has gone after the practice of using drop boxes for absentee ballot submission. As Republicans have focused on other aspects of the absentee voting process in litigation elsewhere, we'll get to one of those in a moment. McReynolds of the National Vote at Home Institute said it was ironic that Republicans were now going after drop boxes, given their long-held objections to the practice known as ballot harvesting, in which third parties collect absentee ballots to submit on behalf of voters. Well, that's right, Amber. They don't want to have people helpfully collecting ballots. They don't want voters to be able to conveniently drop them off somewhere. And they don't want to properly fund the post office to assure that ballots get through in a timely manner by mail either. And they're really hoping you're only left with the choice of having to risk your life to vote in person or not vote at all. They like that second part the best, I think. That's the plan. That's the plan for Republicans this year. That's how they are going to win if they are going to win, period. This uh, lawsuit claims that because the drop boxes allegedly increase the potential for ballot fraud or tampering, their use violates the 1st and 14th Amendments. Along with the Trump campaign, the Republican National Committee and two voters. And uh, and then there's the other plaintiffs, are Republican U.S. House reps, Glenn Thompson, John Joyce, Mike Kelly and Guy Reschenthaler. So this suit is very much like one that was filed by the Republican National Committee and the Trump campaign and some voters and former Congressman Daryl Issa. Just a few weeks ago, uh, ISA, by the way, is running again for Congress this November in California. This suit was had the GOP hoping to block California Governor Gavin Newsom's executive order to send actual absentee ballots to all active registered voters here in California for this November's election. That is... Already dubious lawsuit, however, as uh, Ernie Canning described it in reporting uh, at Bradblog.com late last week, that suit will now most likely be dismissed as moot by the court. While uh, previously arguing that the GOP plaintiffs lacked standing to sue in federal court because Republicans cannot show they suffered a legal cognizable injury, as er, uh, Canning describes it here. Uh, he also uh, initial initially reported that the GOP's core legal challenge, that the elections clause to the U.S. Constitution only permits state legislatures, not governors, to set the time and manner of conducting federal elections. Yes, this lawsuit in California was also a federal suit claiming it was unconstitutional to send ballots out to voters. Canning argued that that was at odds with settled Supreme Court case law and that legislative approval for the governor's pandemic related emergency executive order is found within the provisions of the California Emergency Services Act. So he says they were wrong on all counts. But now even those issues at this point are moot because the week before last, the California state legislature passed a law. Even with support, again, support from Republicans that basically codified Newsom's executive order by specifically providing that vote by mail ballots would be timely sent to every active registered voter in the state, even if the voter did not request one. It was signed into law last week. All of which renders the GOP core uh, legal argument, in that case in California, to be moot as well.
2: And again, state legislatures matter.
1: And, you know, what the Republicans are doing is they are just doing what they are pretending they are against. They are trying to cause chaos any way they can. They are throwing lawsuits at the wall in state after state after state.
2: Trying to throw a wrench into the machinery at every turn.
1: And hoping that the uh, U.S. Supreme Court will ultimately help them out. And they might. In any event, ballots in California will now be sent out according to a specific law, not just according to the governor, that executive order, but it won't be the first or the last time Republicans are heading to court between now and November to do anything they can to try and gum up the works when it comes to vote by mail, because it is now clearer than ever that they find people voting to be their biggest obstacle to Republicans winning this November. All right, quick break, and we're back with uh, something or other. <laughs> I got a lot to choose from. We'll figure out which one we choose uh, right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the Bradcast. <laughs> Rosemary, Maury Amsterdam, Larry Matthews, and Mary Tyler Moore. (laughs) Yes, well, I know. Welcome back to the Bradcast with Mary Tyler Moore. (laughs) Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Yeah, a very sad day uh, today, at least for me. Earlier I was talking about you know, growing up, loving the Fourth of July. You know what else I loved? The Dick Van Dyke Show. Of course. Starring Mary Tyler Moore. And, of course, uh, I'm sure you've heard the news by now, but I think we need to both uh, report this news and uh, celebrate this life. Uh, Because I know I personally have gotten so much laughter in so many ways out of this man, writer, actor, and director Carl Reiner, who broke through as a second banana to Sid Caesar and rose to comedy's front ranks as the creator of The Dick Van Dyke Show. Uh, And as a straight man to Mel Brooks and his 2,000-year-old man has died. He was 98 years old. As they say in Neil Simon's Sunshine Boys, 98 years old. He died like that from nothing. (laughs) Simon, uh, by the way, was also a writer on Sid Caesar's show of shows, along with Reiner and Mel Brooks and pretty much everyone else. His assistant, uh, Judy Nagy, said he died Monday night of natural causes at his home in Beverly Hills, California. So, yeah, he actually did. Uh, 98 years old, died I know. like that yeah. from nothing.
2: <laughs> he was tweeting just the day before. Was he? Yeah.
1: He uh, has a great
2: little YouTube series about COVID being uh, in the middle of quarantine for seniors. It's really, really sweet.
1: He was uh, one of uh, show business's best-liked men. According to AP, the tall, bald Reiner was a welcome face on the small and silver screen in uh, Caesar's 1950s troupe as the snarling, toupee-wearing Alan Brady of The Dick Van Dyke Show, and in such films as The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, and It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. In recent years, he was also part of, and I forgot about this, he was also part of the roguish gang in the Ocean's Eleven movies. Yes. Starring George uh, Clooney and everyone else. Uh, And he appeared in documentaries including uh, If You're Not in the Obit, Eat Breakfast, which was, uh, I think it was his line, He wakes up every morning, he checks the obit, If he doesn't read about himself there, he has breakfast. (laughs) I guess no breakfast today. Tributes poured in online, including from Steve Martin, who said, Goodbye to my greatest mentor in movies and in life. Thank you, dear Carl. Actor Josh Gad called Reiner one of the greatest comedic minds of all time. Sarah Silverman said his humanity was beyond compare. Alan Alda tweeted his talent will live on for a long time, but the loss of his kindness and decency leaves a hole in our hearts. The films directed by Reiner included Oh God, which I hadn't realized. Did you know that Carl Reiner directed Oh God? No. Which is hilarious, by the way. If you're too young to have ever seen it, go see it. At least it used to be hilarious. It was hilarious when I was 11 and last saw it. I don't know if it with George Burns and John Denver. He also directed All of Me, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, The Man with Two Brains, The Jerk. He is of course the father of Rob Reiner who starred as Archie Bunker's son-in-law and all in the family
2: and an accomplished director himself
1: of Spinal Tap, Harry Met Sally, Princess Bride, etc. Uh Rob Reiner said in a tweet on Tuesday that his quote his heart is hurting he was my guiding light. But many remember Carl Reiner of course for the Dick Van Dyke show. Reiner once said the Van Dyke show is probably the most thrilling of my accomplishments because that was very very personal it was about me and my wife living in New Rochelle and working on the Sid Caesar show the pilot uh, written by Reiner starred himself as Rob Petrie, and it aired in uh, July of 1960 but then the show was reworked because CBS executives uh, worried that Reiner would make the lead character seem too Jewish Mm. too Jewy Van Dyke instead was cast, and the program ran from 61 to 66. It was during the uh, show of shows years that Reiner and Mel Brooks started improvising skits, which became the basis for the 2,000-year-old man. Reiner was the interviewer, Brooks the old man, and the witness to history. Here's a short American Film Institute clip in which Reiner and Brooks talk about the genesis See what I did there? Mm -hmm. For the 2,000 year old man bit, which uh, had no fears about being too Jewy. Sid
0: Caesar was there. Mel, this guy, Mel Brooks, was standing up. I didn't know who he was. I just came in to say hello to people. And he's a Jewish pirate. And he's complaining bitterly. He says, You know how hard it is to set sail today. I can't sail anymore. The cloth, the, the sail cloth is $14. A uh, uh, yard. Yeah, I can't afford to pillage and rape any. This is no good. And the two thousand year old man was born the day after I saw Mel do that in the office. So he came over to me with a wire recorder and set it down. And he said, "Ladies and gentlemen, here is a man who was actually at the scene of the crucifixion two thousand years ago. Isn't that true, sir?" And first words out of Mel was, "Oh boy." Yeah. Oh boy. It was terrible. So you knew Jesus. He says, "Yeah, it came in the store." <laughs> he had 12 guys with him. They all wore sandals. They never bought anything out of a candy store. They always asked for water. I gave them water. Nice boys. Did and you know, Joan of Arc? I went with her. I knew her. <laughs> I went, I knew her intimately. So from 1950 to 1960, parties, every party we ever went to, people say, "Get up, fellows, get up." And we did it.
1: Well, sir, I must say that you really don't look uh, two thousand. Well, I
0: take care of myself. Sir. Well, <laughs> I know you do, but
1: I, I think we'd all believe it more if you had some way
0: to authenticate it. Do you have a birth certificate? We didn't have that then. You didn't have birth no. Birth. We didn't have two thousand years ago. We didn't have. We, we didn't have nothing. We didn't have ballpoint pens. You didn't have. We weren't even up to ink, darling. Well, <laughs> you didn't. You did... No, we had nothing. You were primitive like... in those days. We were primitive. We were atavistic. We were. What is the word I'm searching for? Dumb. We were
1: very dark, yes. You knew it's stupid. <laughs> that was, uh, of course, Carl uh, Reiner, uh, who we lost today at the age of 98 with uh, Mel Brooks. They won a uh, Grammy in 1998 for their 2,000 uh, year old man in the year 2000. Recording and uh, Reiner won multiple Emmys for his TV work. In 2000, he received the Kennedy Center Mark Twain Prize for humor. And when the sound system failed at the start of the ceremonies, Reiner called out from the balcony. Does anybody have four double A batteries? <laughs> anyway, do yourself a favor this weekend. If you can't go see fireworks because they're canceled or whatever, stay home. Call up some YouTube clips of the 2,000-year-old man. You can thank me later. Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. All right, Desi Doyen, uh, since we are going to be off for the next few days, Nicole Sandler will be filling in for us. That means there won't be a Green News Report uh, this uh, coming Thursday. And you had something you wanted to get in that we can't cover. So uh, we will do that after our latest Green News Report.
0: America is no longer energy dependent. We are now energy dominant
2: Dominant U.S. fracking pioneer Chesapeake Energy files for bankruptcy.
1: BP has wiped $17.5 billion off the value of its assets.
2: BP warns investors of a future with less oil. Sorry, endangered species, U.S. Supreme Court won't stop Trump's border wall for you. Plus... Federal flood maps have underestimated the risk to nearly... 15 million homes across the U.S. Flood risks to U.S. homes are far higher than previously estimated.
1: All of those bad estimates and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And
2: I'm Desi Doyan.
1: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment.
0: I called Saudi Arabia. And believe it or not, I called Mexico. And we got them to do the right thing. And we have our energy back to almost $40 a barrel, meaning you have an energy business (sighs) again.
1: Meaning you yutzes are plotting for higher gas prices. Well done. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, while everyone is worried about the COVID crisis, you, I hope, are keeping your eyes on our climate crisis.
2: Oh, indeed. And first up, millions more homes are at risk of flooding than previously known. That's according to a new analysis by the First Street Foundation, a nonprofit research group that has compiled the most comprehensive data yet of the country's growing vulnerability to flooding due to man-made climate change. The analysis found that nearly 15 million properties, that. 70% more than are currently included in FEMA's outdated flood hazard maps are actually at significant risk of flooding. And the analysis found that as climate change accelerates, millions more property owners will see their flood risk grow by 2050 within the life of a 30-year mortgage signed today. That will have substantial impacts on the mortgage market and the insurance market.
1: So if I go out to buy a house and I check the FEMA maps to see where my house is As far as flood risk, I'm going to get just terrible, wrong information?
2: Possibly. You can look up your area's risk with this new data tool. We have the links at our website, greennews.bradblog.com. Bad news for endangered species along the U.S. southern border with Mexico, the U.S. Supreme Court on Monday declined to hear a suit brought by environmental and conservation organizations challenging the Trump administration's decision to waive more than 40 major environmental laws as unconstitutional in order to to speed up construction of Trump's border wall, the court let stand the Department of Homeland Security's waivers of the National Environmental Policy Act, the Endangered Species Act, and a host of major laws and regulations that the groups say violate the Constitution's separation of powers.
1: You know, Supreme Court, there's going to be a democratic president at some point and that democratic president is going to get to do whatever he or she wants to do Because you've given away all the power.
2: Also in the courts, Washington, D.C. Attorney General Carl Racine has filed a lawsuit against four oil majors for violating the district's consumer protection laws. Coming just a day after Minnesota filed a similar suit, the district's lawsuit contends that BP, Chevron, ExxonMobil, and Royal Dutch Shell have known since the 1950s that their product caused dangerous climate change but launched public relations campaigns to manufacture about man-made climate change to preserve their profits. The lawsuit seeks civil penalties and financial relief for district residents and for the oil companies to stop their disingenuous PR campaigns that tout natural gas, which also contributes significantly to the climate
1: crisis. Oh, so what? Now, even fraud is illegal?
2: A reckoning for a fracking pioneer. In the wake of the crash in oil and gas prices... Chesapeake Energy, a leader in aggressively launching fracking operations across the U.S. over the last decade, has declared bankruptcy with $9 billion in debt. Chesapeake, famous for making risky bets, previously was the king of the fracking industry and its rickety business model, acquiring a mountain of debt to rapidly expand its operations, which in turn contributed to the glut of supply that kept natural gas prices and profits unsustainably low
1: so and sad
2: and then the coronavirus hit and crushed demand. Finally, British Petroleum has announced that it expects to wipe more than $17 billion off the value of its assets and is cutting its long-term forecasts for oil and gas prices. BP is projecting that the coronavirus shutdowns will cast a lasting effect on energy demand. Bloomberg News reports that BP's announcement, quote, baldly acknowledges that the major hydrocarbon producers are sitting on oil fields that will never be developed because the pandemic has Curbed energy demand and increased the desire for renewables within the supply mix.
1: We told you months ago to sell off those oil stocks. Did you listen? For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. You No one ever takes my investment advice. So, Des, uh you got a, a story. You're always thinking of the listeners. You were feeling so terrible we're not going to be able to give this to them on, right. a, on a Thursday GNR. We will you not got? be
2: able to cover the fact that the House Democrats uh, today unveiled a massive climate package. It's very ambitious. It kind of lays the groundwork for a net zero economy. That means net zero uh, carbon emissions economy-wide by 2050. It uh, focuses on environmental justice and racial justice. It calls for setting a price on carbon dioxide. Pollution, a carbon tax or other price um, Eliminating pollution From cars by 2035 From power plants by 2040 And achieving net zero Greenhouse gas emissions by 2050
1: It was introduced or it was passed In the House?
2: It was introduced It's a report by the uh, the, the Select Climate Change Committee in the House It's a report, it sort of lays out the Framework to start developing Legislation, so I'll just push people Over to David Roberts, he did a Great comprehensive coverage of it at Vox.com. He's our, one of our favorite environmental yep. justice and environmental reporters here. So, really good stuff there. It's obviously not going to pass the Senate nope. because it's controlled by Republicans. But, yep. you know, this does give us sort of a, uh, a forward looking plan, a roadmap to how this could happen if Democrats take the House, the Senate, and the White House. We can do this. We have all the technology and the tools that we need right now to make this happen. We just have to, to take have
1: the House, the Senate, and the Congress, or to do the, pass this bill?
2: to fight climate change oh that part oh but we just have to get the people in office that will make it happen
1: sounds like a plan what could possibly go wrong <laughs> we will find out and Nicole Sandler will report on what possibly goes wrong over the next few days until then my thanks to our producer Desi Doyne to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us it is always appreciated it is always an honor if you missed any portion of today's program download any time for free at bradblog.com. While you're there, please consider stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help support the Bradcast. Uh, We rely only on listeners like you to keep telling the truth over your public airwaves. You can drop me an email if you like. I'll try not to read it over uh, the next few days. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share me on the Twitters and Facebooks. At the Brad blog. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.